Hello and welcome to Longbox Scavengers. This is a weekly podcast where we review fantasy, science fiction, and horror, TV shows, movies, and sometimes video games. How are you doing today, Eric? I'm doing good, Tom. A little tired. Just woke up not too long ago, but um, how are you doing today? I am well. I am tired as well. Uh, my reason for being tired is I spent four hours in a dentist chair yesterday getting a retreat of a root canal. Oh, that, that sounds like a great time. Yeah, it was actually um, pretty exhausting. I will say the student that did the work, because I am getting all my dental work done by students over at Midwestern. Um, I'm not getting paid by that clinic, by that school, by the way, but they do an amazing job. They are incredible. They're so thorough, and they have dentists who are experts in the field that walk around, check on every work, everything they're doing each step of the way. So I can say nothing but good things about the Midwestern Dental School. (laughs) They've done a lot of work in my mouth. Unfortunately, I didn't take care of my mouth the way I needed to. And I was pleasantly surprised. The cost, too, is at least one-third of what you would get, even with insurance helping you at a regular dentist. That's pretty good. I mean, I got, you know, dental insurance, so that does help a little, mitigate a little bit of the cost. But, I mean... yeah. Anyway, anywhere to save money, but uh, yeah, I I I would I feel you. Yeah, if you get, they're a good place to go if you not that well. This is actually exactly what happened to me. I go to my dentist and they tell me I have all this work to do. Well, first off, my wife almost literally killed me through the cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> we made it through that. Um, and then the battle became how do I fix this problem that's going on in my mouth. And so if you have stuff like root canals, um, caps, um, deep, like deep cavities, they'll take their time and, and get her done. So that's probably something we should, that's a topic we should move off of because who really wants to tune into a podcast and listen to somebody talk about dental work? You know, I mean, besides dentists, I'm not really sure, Tom, but definitely not um, our intended audience. Uh, no. I'm not sure that they came for the, uh, for the dental uh, commentary. No, they didn't. Our audience, we believe, is the audience that is looking to hear about shows that are like Game of Thrones. And we have found another show like that. It's called The Witcher on Netflix. And that dropped about two weeks ago or so. It is based off of a fantasy book series by Andrzej Sapkowski. It is a story of a fantasy of fantasy, fate, and family where the Witcher, Geralt, is a solitary monster hunter who struggles to find his place in a world where people often prove more wicked than beasts. It's created for Netflix by Lauren Schmidt Hasrick. So there's a number of actors attached to this property, probably the most famous of which is Henry Cavill, um, a.k.a. Superman. He plays Geralt. We have Freya Allen, who plays Siri. Anya Chalatra plays Yennefer. Mimi Nguyeni plays Frangela. And it kind of goes on and on from there. I'll probably give the rest, because these names are not the easiest names in the world for me to say, Mr. Eric. Yeah, I mean, these are very much uh, like Eastern European and Polish names, which is, I'm, I mean, at least I'm assuming that, because that's, who the, that's where the writer's from, and that's kind of how he's known. He's kind of just the... Polish version of George R. R. Martin, and that's what these books are about. 
And yeah, so the main like story is about uh, Geralt of Rivia and his journeys as like a, this this famed monster hunter called a Witcher. But it obviously just it it breaks off into a much much larger and involved story that involves almost the entire kingdom and a bunch of different characters. And so our last episode we we reviewed episode one and kind of talked about how it sort of set up the timeline, set up the narrative, and set up the characters in the world, and just did a pretty good job of being a pilot episode. At least that's that's what I felt. And so we're here to talk about episodes two and three and to kind of see how they keep going, if they can really build off of it in a, in a really fun and interesting way. Kind of like uh, Game of Thrones did, where in with Game of Thrones in episode two, that's honestly one of my favorite episodes because... There's very little action. It's all just character development and setup, and it's really just people talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And like that's, it, it can be really boring. And I, I bet if I'd watched episode two of Game of Thrones when it first aired, I'd probably be like, "This show is boring and stupid." Like I'm getting kind of over it. Mm-hmm. But as when you look back on it, or you revisit the episode six years later when you're in season six, you realize, "Wow, this is an amazing episode." For how much it's set up, for how deep it made the characters. And that's kind of where we're going with The Witcher, especially with the first two, three, four episodes, and then really the first season, is I found that I I tried to watch it as like someone who had no idea what the story was about beforehand, and it can be pretty confusing. All these different characters, all these different settings and rules you got to follow, and it can be very confusing. Um, Mm -hmm. But... I think there. I think the whole point of, especially this episode, the last episode, and I want to say episode three, where they really just are trying to set up these characters, set up this world. It's a really like rich and deep world because they have seven books and now three video games that they get to kind of play with, and all of these hundreds of characters with very difficult names, and countries with very difficult names, and yeah. monsters with very difficult names, and that can be a little hard to remember and follow, but I actually, that's one of the many reasons I loved it, because they have such interesting names and places and rich histories. So we'll try to to create a little bit of an outline. I found some notes, of course, online. Mm-hmm. And so this is, a, this is a series of events that'll help if you've watched the show and you're listening along to this podcast. This is an attempt to create a little bit of a timetable for what happens in the beginning, in episode one through episode, I think three is in this outline. It's very short, so it starts on 1210. The year 1210, Yennefer is sold to Tessia. How do you say that name, Eric? I think it's just Tessia. Thank you, Tessia. So sometime between 1210 and 1249, Geralt becomes the Butcher of Blaviken. In 1249, Geralt evokes the Law of Surprise. We should come back to that, Eric, because I want you to kind of for the audience tell us when that actually happened because we might not have caught it at least i didn't and then at the end of the entire eight episodes is 1263 the year 1263 when Geralt meets siri so in episode two yennefer trains at the magical academy of artuza she manipulates her way to the court mage at adim Adern, but that happens after her transformation, right? She, that's which is pretty. Intense. So that's yeah. So that's episode three or the end of episode yeah. three, where that's what kind of what she wants, and yeah. So she basically forces her way to get it. Yeah. And then instead of going and being the mage of Nilfgaard, 
uh, Rangilla becomes the mage of Nilfgaard instead. And then over on Geralt's side, he's there's a couple of things that happen in episodes two and three. He meets Jaskier. He's the annoying kind of singing little side character who follows him around for the next several episodes. Yeah, he, he's definitely the comic relief, and he's the bard, and he's supposed to just be the one who lightens up the whole show, which I actually thought he did a pretty good job of, although I do agree he was annoying at some times. Mm-hmm. But I also just believe that he's supposed to be annoying, so. Yeah. And then in, I think, episode two, the Geralt meets a group of elves, and so you kind of learn about the, syst- the systematic slaughter of the elves by humans. Um, somewhere along the line here, um, Tress Marigold enlists Geralt's help to kill a dangerous Striga. That's Striga, been terror- Striga. Striga, that's been yep. terrorizing the town. And so basically how Eric and I have been thinking about this, and we, this is going to be very conversational, mm-hmm. episode two feels like it's Yennefer. It's all the setup mm-hmm. to Yennefer. And actually spread through episode two and three is pretty much the transformation or the ascension of Yennefer. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And it's kind of funny because you don't see her at all in episode one. They just spend the entire time setting up uh, Geralt and Ciri. And then they spent, and then in episode two, like you said, is Yennefer's episode. It's, it's, it's interesting because it's an original story. Uh, Yennefer doesn't really have a backstory in any of the other, uh, in the books or the games. It's kind of just, you know, who she is because she is this really powerful mage and her and Geralt have a on and off relationship that's really like actually kind of interesting and, there's another story that's late, that, that happens later in this in the uh, season that kind of explains their connection. Mm-hmm. But um, it's interesting because this is the one piece of the of the show that we get to analyze free of all the other content. And I kind of I, I liked it in general where it was mm-hmm. this kind of Harry Potter esque mm-hmm. you know origin story where she basically just gets flung and sold to this mage service and she gets to train how to be a wizard or a mage or witch, whatever you want to call it. And she's just learning magic. And it's, it's a, it's a good setup because it kind of teaches you sort of the rules of magic in this universe, which Mm -hmm. is really important because with magic, you can do literally anything in a show, but if you go too far, it can become unbelievable. And this, and the audience can get, you know, turned off by it and start not, not accepting it anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, so she goes through the training, and she finds she's not very good at it. Um, yeah. And, well, she, she, is a, she, she doesn't, like, you know, believe in herself, and I should add that she is supposed to be very ugly, where she has this mm-hmm. giant hunchback, and there's something wrong with her mouth, and she's kind of made fun of by, you know, everyone, and she's mm-hmm. sold she's sold to, to this uh, witch, uh, Tessia, or Le- what's her name, Tessia? Yeah. <laughs> uh, to, yeah, by her father for yeah. like six gold coins. So she does, and then she tries to kill herself the first night she's there. So that kind of sets up this like broken woman, or, you know, I think she's only supposed to be a girl then. And she doesn't think she's worth anything, and she just tries to kill herself. And then it's basically from there trying to build her up as this like very strong character and kind of showing how she becomes the very strong witch that she does at the end of uh, episode three. Yeah, if I were to interject in there, another aspect of Yennefer to me is that she has very strong values. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I do believe she has very strong values, but I do think they're kind of built up as the episode goes along. It, it definitely, she starts as like, you know, I'm scared and I was basically kidnapped and brought to this new place. And it, yeah. it's it's kind of fun because then you get to also experience all these new things and learn these things with her. And yeah. that's kind of cool. But and but I don't know, it's kind of tough because she keeps failing and then she keeps failing and then she's clearly like doesn't have any like. The whole the, they're trying to show like she doesn't have you know discipline she's not doesn't have the control and there's this whole thing there's this um diatribe or bi- balance between like chaos and control yeah and the idea is that a ma- that the world is chaos and that a mage's job is to find a way to control the chaos mm-hmm. and through that you become you become a powerful magician and you can use your magic more powerfully mm-hmm. as opposed to Yennefer it's kind of like even um uh, Tessia even says like she is pure chaos mm-hmm. and she needs to control the chaos and but she can't and that's that's kind of a good way to describe her character throughout the season is she is basically just chaos and there's a I mean the one thing that's kind of interesting and I, I don't know the messaging <laughs> is kind of weird is she has these she has she wants to be something she wants to have um a voice she wants to to be powerful. Yeah. And what's interesting is she, in order to become powerful, she has to become beautiful. Yeah. And I mean, at least that's at the end of the day, they don't come right out and tell you she's got, you know, but you just watch <laughs> it. You listen to all the dialogue. You see what happens. That's in, in essence, the message in order to have power, you need to be beautiful. And that's kind of a dangerous messaging for women for sure. Especially mm-hmm. in today's culture, um, not that I should talk too much on that because I'm not a woman myself, but I do think that that's an interesting kind of twist in the story. But when she transforms, she all of a sudden does seem to be a lot more powerful. But a lot, maybe what also um, adds to her increase in power was the actual process of transformation or ascension, I guess they're calling it. In this world. So did you like it? Did you think that that was um, Yennefer's story arc? So in general, I liked Yennefer's story arc. And once you fir- when you first see her and you see her with, uh, you know, physical deformities and you kind of knew, at least I kind of knew, like, that's where they were going with it. Because I remember I knew that she's supposed to be, like, very beautiful. And that's she's, you know, she never ages and she just like, I don't know it. I'm not sure if I liked it. Like visually, the whole scene was pretty cool. Um, how they uh, contrasted it with Geralt's battle with the Striga and kind of like her own battle within herself, I guess. I don't know. But that's the thing is, other than the kind of message that beauty equals power, and if she becomes beautiful, then she becomes a very powerful wizard. I couldn't really figure out what the all if there's another meaning or another lesson I was supposed to take away from it because you're right if that's kind of the message where um beauty equals power that's not really a message that resonates in 2020 it's yeah it's kind of something we've been trying to fight against for a very long time actually but i don't know i feel i definitely feel like there was another reason they were trying to do that yeah but you're right it was a transformation it was kind of her ascension from being this lowly farmer's daughter to becoming this very powerful woman and wizard and 
in some ways it, 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 it works because it allows her to kind of realize who she wants to be and what she wants in that sense. She like she wants something and she goes and gets it and then she does actually have it. And that's kind of her that'll be her character, I'm assuming, throughout the rest of the story, where she's very strong willed, like basically no one's gonna stop her if she wants something. And she wanted this. She wanted to be the uh, the king's mage to the king of uh, uh, Edern instead of Nilfgaard. So she's like, screw that, I'm going. And she basically forced her way in there. And for better or worse, like that's 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 her character. So in that sense, it made sense. Um, in that sense, uh, yeah. Anyway, it made yeah. sense. It was just it was just a little confusing that whole what the meaning of that whole scene was. Other than that, yeah. yeah. I thought it would added. I think the actress they chose to play Jennifer was a really good choice. She mm-hmm. is beautiful, and she looks like she's from, I don't know, Middle Eastern or either Pakistani, Afghanistani, Indian, or somewhere. That's like the visual aesthetic they I think they were kind of going for. Yeah. Um, versus if they would have picked like your run-of-the-mill, you know, even if they were beautiful, more North American actor or actress, I think it wouldn't have had near nearly the mystery that it does when you when the visual aesthetic is from from the east um well yes yeah, so that's an uh, so she's um she's english and indian uh she's okay so she has, she has mixed parents which is which is fine it's that's actually another f- interesting thing about this world and how they chose to do it where they kind of just sprinkle in different kind of races and different types of people and it's like um game of thrones didn't even really worry about that and um, the books didn't really even worry about that because that's not really it's supposed to be doing like a feudal, you know, European age. So of course there's not going to be too many people who aren't white. Right. <laughs> right. It, it does. It, but the good thing about it is it does add the story like a little bit more flavor. It does give us a little more, I don't know, contrast. And, yeah. Um, gives other actors a chance to actually get good roles. So I, I do like that. Yeah. And even Istra um, or what, what's the character's name again? The one that she meets who's, Studying to be a wizard. Was it Frizzilla. Istra? Um, Wait, which one? Uh, the male. The oh, one, Istred. Yeah, Istred. So I, I do believe, like, when you add a little <laughs> flavor, a little color, a little contrast to it, I do think that it increases my interest level a little bit because I've mm-hmm. seen a lot of the medieval age kind of stuff that this could devolve into. But when you mix in some of this other, you know, like you're talking about some contrast, I do think that it helps. Well, so another, I mean, one of the things about the show is that it's really good. I really enjoy it, but there are times where I feel like it kind of falls into, I feel like I'm watching like a high school play of Hamlet where the okay. way that they're talking to each other and the way that they're emoting and where they're like, even where they're standing and the settings they're in, it seems kind of cheap. And okay. I think, and the, so the thing about the dialogue is, especially when they're in um, Eratusa, when they're trying to train to be a mage, is that they like they'll say a hundred words in a conversation, and I'll understand maybe five of those words, and <laughs> the rest is almost gibberish. And, yeah. And it's those type of heady, those kind of big like idea conversations, but really it's just it's just gibberish, and it's just meant for them to sound smart and deep and wise and really it's just like you're just filling up minutes in this episode 
and or it took you know Tessia five minutes to say the same thing three times three separate times about Yennefer's power and how she needs to control it and that's kind of one of the few one of the few downsides of this uh of Yennefer's story is that they spend a lot of time trying to talk trying to teach us and tell us about the world of magic and her life and all that stuff and they try very hard to explain the rules and explain how it works, but it's still very confusing. Where she can do, she can make teleports and she can, you know, control lightning, but she can't do anything else. And so, I don't know. It was just a little interesting and sometimes very confusing and I could get lost in just, just listening to them talk. Yeah. I mean, I certainly was lost, just to be honest, for most of the show. Eight episodes. <laughs> um when you think about magic, mm-hmm. how do you think the story does in its display of magic? Do you think it's too confusing, inconsistent, or do you think it's just right? Well, I would have to say, actually, that it is, after saying that, it is just right. Because you don't want them to kind of take over the whole show with just magic. Because then you realize, well, they just use magic for everything. Like, you don't even need witchers. You just get a, a, magi- a mage to come by and, you know, just pick up the monster and throw him into the, throw him into the, you know, the sky or something like that. So they have to be restrained, but at the same time, they kind of have to show how powerful they can be. And in the show and the books, their mages are, can essentially do anything. And, but at the, you know, one of the, the very first lesson of, at the school is there's a cost to all, uh, spells and all magic that is used so basically in order to use a spell you need to take the life force of some of some object in this case it's you basically take the life of a flower to lift a stone and that's a very simple way of explaining magic mm-hmm. to the audience which is great but then they don't really use that they they, they use that lesson um when they want to mm-hmm. and so the first time you see frangilla she basically is looking for Siri and she fi- and she finds Siri by slicing a mage, you know, what is it? Slicing a mage's guts out and looking at the guts and through that death she's able to find Siri. Okay, it's gross as hell, but it makes sense. And in this in this sort of story, but then they don't do that every single time. And sometimes mages will just make spells and you're just like, "Oh, well, what life force did they use?" Oh, they didn't use anything. It was just a cool trick. So that's like a nitpick where you could get really uh, mad at it or you could yell at the show for as long as you want. But really, as long as they have the rules set up and they try to follow them as much as they can, then they can kind of get away with some stuff because it's it's magic. I mean, it's it's not going to be perfect. It's like time travel. It's like you're never going to get it perfect. So just <clears throat> try and have fun with it. As long as it's fun, as long as I can enjoy the, their use of magic, mm-hmm. like – her Jennifer's first story, oh, maybe that's that season four. Uh, it's episode four, where she's kind of traveling with the king. Yeah, that's episode four. Yeah. yeah, she's traveling with the king's wife. She just uses portal after portal after portal, but she's supposed to be able to use fire and all this other stuff. So, yeah, it's I, I liked it for the most part. I don't know what did you what did you think? Did you kind of like her their use of magic in the show? Um, so I I do want to support your analysis of it being just right. And I think for people who are, who play a lot of video games, watch a lot of shows, read a lot of novels, you don't want too much revealed at once. Cause then your mind is not engaged at all. You just know too much. And, but for people who don't 
who are not completely immersed, it's really confusing and it's hard to tell what's what. And mm -hmm. you have to do a little bit of research, which, you know, like we have to do for podcasts like this. And so I've read some articles. So now I get it, right? They're, yeah. I think it helps when you think about the Artuza. That's a, a school of magic. I think mm -hmm. that helps. And I think you get it. I mean, if you're wa you're actually watching the show, this is a show you have to actually be watching it mm -hmm. and thinking about it and not doing two or three other things at the same time. If you're scroll scrolling your Twitter account or cleaning a counter or whatever and watching it, you're probably going to miss stuff and you have to watch it and pick up on it because there's a lot of little things going on that build. And having said that, for those people who are immersed in these kinds of stories, I'm pretty sure that they didn't find this to be nearly as confusing as other people did. And maybe some of that has to do with language. It's hard to follow stories when you can't remember people's names because they're complex and they're <laughs> names that you're not used to using. Um, that could be uh, something that that troubled was troublesome. I can't remember anyone's name in this show, uh, except for Jennifer. I have Jennifer down. That one I have. Siri I have down, but that's only four letters, so that helps me out quite a bit. Um, mm -hmm. Geralt, I tend to call him Geralt and Geralt and Gerald and Geraldo. And so I'm calling him like four or five different names. So that doesn't help. <coughs> I do think that does. It takes a little bit more effort to follow the story. But as far as the magic itself, it's probably just right. And when I get done watching two or three seasons of this, I'll go back to the first season and be like, wow, this was absolutely the best way to start all of this. I have a question for you, though. What did you think about the, the bard Jasker? And um, the uh, he's kind of the comedic relief mm -hmm. portion of this. Anything so, else you wanted to add regarding him? Yeah, so um, I, I think his name is Jaskier, which is like, it's supposed to be a soft J, but I mean, the thing... <laughs> Jasker, is it right? Jaskier, yeah, Jasper. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, I liked him. I think he was he was annoying, but he he was supposed to be annoying. You know what I mean? And so in in the in the books, I believe this is supposed to be a character named Dandelion, who is a bard and a thespian, and he's this outspoken, and he's always you know getting in trouble with women and that kind of stuff. And as of now, he is just comic relief. He is just kind of annoying and supposed to just kind of just be poking at Geralt and trying to get him to talk more, which is fine because it, you know, it, otherwise it's a show where Geralt's just walking everywhere and not saying anything. Um, <laughs> but the, th the thing about Dandelion's character is that he actually becomes a, a, not only like a very good friend of Geralt, but like one of his best friends and they travel all, all over the place. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, I do like this character because I know that he's going to be around for a very long time okay. and that he's going to become very, not important, but he he has some moments where, you know, because he knows everybody, because he's pretty well known, that that'll, I'm not sure if it'll save Geralt's life, but at least, you know, give him kind of the the, the path that he needs. But, um, yeah, that's this, so that's, that's Geralt's side of the story in this episode, which definitely takes a backseat to Yennefer's side, mm -hmm. in which he goes off looking for a monster, and instead he finds Yaskier, and Yaskier is just like, I'm just going to hang out with you because I want to find I want to hear your stories in order to write my next big song and become famous. Mm -hmm. And this is he call, even calls him the famous butcher of Blaviken, which tells you this is definitely after 
episode one, which, mm. as you'll find out, you're you're not you're not entirely sure when this when all these episodes happen. Yeah. But as he goes and looks for the monster, he finds it said um a fawn, or who was it? I think it was a fawn, and he tackles it, and he probably gives one of the best my favorite line of the entire show, where he just. <laughs> Gerald's just looking at the, he is the fa- the fawn pinned to the ground. He goes he goes man you're ugly. Did your did your mother you know did you I guess I can't say it because it's cursing or swearing. Yeah. But did he did she have sex with a goat? Yeah. <laughs> the guy's like what's with your ugly white hair? Did your mom have sex with a snowman? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. I I I laughed so hard when I heard when I heard that joke. But um. <laughs> but uh... it leads to the setup of um the 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 elves which is mm-hmm. that whole area is supposed to be this place called dalbathana which is a very sacred like uh i guess temples not the right word sacred city of the elves that's now just been destroyed and they're kind of living as as uh not refugees but i mean as refugees and like this little uh rebel band of like freedom fighters basically because they've been systematically wiped out but i realize i'm getting ahead of myself um Tom, it's easy to do, to isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Getting back to Yester, easy. what did you kind of think of his character and his introduction and his tagging along with Geralt? I don't like him. He's just kind oh, of goofy. Yeah. yeah, he's just goofy and he doesn't really. I know what they what they're trying to do with that, and mm-hmm. it, I felt like it was too on the nose. Yeah. Um, they don't provide anything of depth there that makes me interested in that character now. Um, however. This story has some legs to it. The creator thinks that they have eight seasons worth. Mm. So as things evolve and as that character changes and grows um, and a little more meat is put on the bone there for that character, I think I could see that changing. But it wasn't it wasn't Jar Jar Binks level. It wasn't yeah. that bad. Thank God. Uh, no, no. <laughs> What did you think of his song at the end? Uh, was it Toss a Coin to Your Witcher, which kind of became the theme song of the whole season? Yeah. I mean, it's perfect. Um, <laughs> it's uh, that's, a, that's the thing. Like, I was I was thinking, man, I don't like this character. And then he sings that song. And I'm like, oh, I guess that's a good song. I mean, that kind of captures what's going on here in this show. <laughs> um, but... It provides like a nice little montage that they connect with the end of her story and it's yeah. a, it becomes like a nice little thematic way that they that they do the song, and it becomes like this little like alternative like medieval disco song, and it was it was it was pretty cool. I liked how they did that. It definitely changed up the story that otherwise was really slow paced and kind of boring for Gerald's side. Cause, I do think, yeah, yeah, I think too that the um they do something that they that at least looking okay, we're living in the 20th century. We look mm-hmm. back to the medieval age. And one of the ideas that at least sticks with me, my image of that time period, is that when you have these characters like Geralt or whatever, they always had an assistant, somebody with them (laughs) who kind of um, wrote down the history and wrote it all down. And that's what he is. He's kind of like the the narrator. He's writing down, taking notes. And so when someone comes back along and says, hey, what happened? Over in this city with these elves, it's going to be this character that's going to whip out his notes and say, "Well, this is what happened." <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's Samwise. So. He's Samwise writing a, um, a song of ice and fire, basically. And yeah, I wouldn't actually not be surprised if at the end of the story, at the end of the show, they just 
show that he, it was Yaskier, you know, telling the story of Geralt or, or finishing his, you know, his, his poem or his book. And that's kind of becomes what this whole show is about. Yeah. So we've talked and we'll probably skip ahead to episode three a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Episode three is, I think, accurately um, declared by yourself as we were pre kind of preparing for this. It's it's one of the best, if not the best episode in all eight mm-hmm. of these episodes. And when you first said it, I was like, yeah, it was good. I just can't. And then I rewatched it. Oh, yeah, this is good. <laughs> So you have two things going on, and I thought the the storytellers and <laughs> the directors and the people who did did a marvelous job. Because on one end you have Geralt who's mm-hmm. fighting this Striga, is that Striga. right? Striga. Striga. Mm-hmm. And on the other end you have Yennefer battling through her ascension from this you know deformed hunchbacked um, little girl to a beautiful woman. And they show that happening kind of parallel to each other. And I thought that was amazing. But the show started with a boy with these huge claw wounds. Yep. And another witcher is shown trying to take down the Striga and failing. And then they elicit the help of Geralt. And, of course, he's he's superior to other witchers. He's stronger and can figure things out. So they pull him in. And then that story kind of gets more complex because um, Geralt has a conversation with a king who you kind of know that this is probably the Striga because they they say that the Striga is actually a princess who's been transformed into Mm -hmm. a a creature or a monster. And at least right away, I thought, well, that's going to be the king's daughter. That's what I thought Mm -hmm. anyway. And so you'll see that I think what made that part of the story interesting is the Witcher doesn't go in there thinking, okay, I'll destroy this creature. He goes in there thinking, okay, let's see if there's a way to separate this creature from the princess. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I got out of it. But what did you think about the about all of that? Well, I have to agree. Oh, I have to agree with what you said. Where this is definitely my favorite episode of the season, and it's simply because this is Geralt's like pen ultimate story, where it's just. If you could make a book or a show just about these individual stories of Geralt, you know, trying to find and kill the Striga and then finding out that there's a curse that involves the king of the entire realm, King Fultest, and how that whole kind of conspiracy comes together to create this very deep story, it's very intriguing. I mean, the whole idea is he just needs money to pay for his tavern that he was staying at. And so he just hears about this monster and he hears that a witcher has already been killed trying to kill the monster or actually, no, the, the witcher, they, the story was the witcher ran away with, with the money. Right. So he, I mean, he just goes to the miners, uh, to the, you know, the townsfolk and asks for the money, asks for the, for the fight. And then the king kind of steps in. And so it's this whole idea is that he's not looking for this grand epic story tale that involves the king and a, and a you know princess monster, it kind of just finds him, and then he has to kind of navigate it and choose it himself. And it's a very, it's a pretty interesting story with some great dialogue pieces. Like there's one with Geralt and King Foltest. There's two actual conversations. The first one is Geralt kind of pressing him, is are you the father of this uh, monster essentially? 
And so the story becomes that the prince, the princess who was uh, King Faltes's daughter, I can't remember her name. Um, I think it was Doran. Anyway, she becomes pregnant and it's widely believed that the father is King Foltest. And then somehow, some way, she, the mother is killed. And after the mother is killed, her daughter, who has still not been born yet, essentially becomes this monster called a Strigo, which is just a giant hulking monstrosity that can, you know, it's kind of like a like a werewolf and like a giant vampire, essentially. Mm. But then you, he finds out that because he's a witcher, he knows all about these monsters. He knows you can really only make a Strigo from a curse. Mm-hmm. So someone cursed the, the the mother, and they and they have to figure out why, and then they figure out that it's like one of their closest generals is the person who did it because he also loved uh, the princess, and there's this whole intricate thing. I know, and it it's 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 a good story, and it's it, it it's like the good old palace intrigue, and there's incest, and it's really. Like it, it feels really old school and very um, fun to kind of unravel with the with Geralt. Um, it also introduces some other good characters in Triss Marigold, who's the who's the kind of the mage or the wizard of King for King Foltest, which I'm hoping they get deeper into because Triss is a big character in the books and in the movies or in in the video games, especially in the video games. And so I hope she gets more involved. But this is a good kind of introduction to who she is and how she's like also becomes a friend of Geralt's and pretty much all the wizards and mages become Geralt's friend in in these stories. But the main attraction is the battle with the Striga in mm-hmm. which he goes to this abandoned castle. He knows how to a fight the Striga and then he knows how to lift the curse, but it's not until he gets there that he realizes that he has to basically fight and stay alive against this giant monster the entire night because according to the curse, it can't be lifted until the, you know, the third crow of the of the cock, which is the rooster. Okay. <laughs> um. So he has to fight this monster all night, and so it's a great battle with uh, the Striga. And I think that's I think actually one of the best parts of the show is the ba- is the battle scenes, whether it's with humans or with monsters, especially this one. They take the, they really try to take their time and show that Geralt is just getting his just getting beat up and. At the end, it's he uses he he uses a trick. He uses his brains, and he's actually able to essentially lock the Striga out of her own coffin, which oh nice, which which denies her the ability to go back to sleep um, in the morning, which essentially was what is what lifts the curse. And so she transforms back into a girl, and in but like he like he said in his in. She's transformed into a girl, but she's only known how to be a monster. So she's yeah. not. So she's human, but she doesn't have like any human tendencies. She's basically just a feral human. And so he lets his guard down, and she bites his neck, and he almost dies. And yeah. that was that was just a really good way to end the fight and end the whole story. Um, I don't know. Did you? How much did you like the the battle? Did you think it um, was like really fun and exciting, or what did you think? I loved the battle. I loved it, and I clearly didn't know half of what was going on in the battle so thank you very much for explaining there are several key points there that you that you um talked about that like oh that's why he dove into that into that coffin um yeah i thought it was great it felt epic 
it felt a mixture of fantasy and horror, mm-hmm. which I think good fantasy is somewhat horrific too. Um, yeah. So I love that. It was, it felt like it, it mattered. Um, he, you learned a lot about his powers. Uh, he does stuff with potions and you know that he can like, does that little pulse thing with his hand, but you don't know how powerful that is mm-hmm. until you see him fight this Driga and you're like, Oh, that he can like blow holes right through concrete castle floors and and so that was pretty cool um, yeah so maybe i should give a little rundown because he essentially has four different spells and they're very simple spells that the way he says it is anyone can learn how to do them with a little practice and he can do them maybe a little more powerfully because of his mutations as a witcher mm-hmm. but the first one you see is called ard where it basically is kind of like a force push and he can you know push people back or throw them to the ground or in this case break a floor so that he can fall to the basement um, the other one he uses is called Quen, which is basically creates a protective shield and he does it to block the door so the Striga can't run away. And then when he gets into the coffin, he does it to protect the coffin so that they can't get out so that the Striga can't get in to kill him or get into his coffin. Yeah. Um, the, the third one is Igni, which is fire in which he basically just makes like a little ring of fire, or a little pulse of fire. And then the last one's called Axie in which he, uh, it's basically the Jedi mind trick is what it is. And he basically can do it and get people to do whatever he wants or to agree with him. And so these are these are little spells that he uses all the time, and they don't really explain them. Um, no. Which, I just don't think they had time to really, like, sit go through explaining them. So I'm hoping in a later season they'll actually show kind of his witcher training to kind of really explain it. But those, So that's what the spells are that he's using, and he uses them a lot. And then the potions are another thing where – he has all these little potions that help him um, fight different monsters. So he has one that helps him see in the dark. And that's why his eyes turn totally black, because it's really his pupils are that dilated. Um, and then he has another one called Black Blood, which is basically makes his blood poisonous to um, what's called necrophages, which are uh, monsters like the Striga, or like zombies, essentially, or vampires. Um, but yeah, so I, I interrupted you. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, you... This is why we listen to you talk about these the show because you actually know this universe. I had no idea that there are four different versions of that hand. I call it the hand pulse thingy. So I mean, that's essentially what it is. You know, it's basically just like force push as it's like a Jedi force push is basically what it is. And it's 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 a nice little MacGyver tool for him because he can just kind of just do it, use it whenever he wants. And they actually showed it in episode one where he kind of uses it and he pushes back a bunch of Renfrey's men. And you're like, oh, I didn't know he, even know he had that. <laughs> yeah. And so what are it, his, it just... What are, mu- what are the Witcher's mutations? Let's cover the mutations. All right. So it's a little complicated and um, not all of it is known. Uh, but so basically Witchers are taken as children. They're trained from you know as children to become you know monster slayers so they're trained how to fight but when they become older and they become of age essentially they go through something what's called the trial of the grasses which is a bunch of mutations i'm trying to think of a good comparison but basically they introduce a bunch of poison and a bunch of um just just chemicals that kind of break the body down basically you know melt it away so that it can be built back up with other potions and other spells and mutations. Mm-hmm. And basically what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to alter your 
even like your DNA essentially and make you stronger, faster. You can, you know, your senses are heightened. Um, it means that you age much slower. So by the end of it, by, by present, what's supposed to be present day, which is series time, he's supposed to be, you know, over a hundred years old at that point, essentially. And, um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. It also makes him sterile, uh, which is a good parallel because right. um, Yennefer, with her whole transformation to becoming beautiful, she loses her um, ability to have children. Um, so both of them are sterile. And I think that's that's actually what you kind of – they even talk – no, that's another episode. But <laughs> basically, what, basically what you learn is that all witchers are sterile and then all mages and wizards are sterile. And that's – that's for better or worse, but that's essentially what the trade-off is, is that he gets all these special powers. He gets to live forever, essentially. Um, but he can't have children. And so, yeah, that's essentially what the witcher training is in a, in a nutshell. At the end of the episode, so he got bit in the neck by the princess and after he let his guard down and the, the other character nurses him back to health. Mm-hmm. What's the special like capacities of that character? I mean, so with wizardry, as you could believe, it's a lot like, you know, medical school, essentially, where yeah. each wizard can kind of have their own speciality. And I, Tris, one of Triss's specialties is uh, healing potions and healing in general, although she is a very powerful combat mage in her in, in her own right. Um, so that's, I mean, that's all it is. It's just okay. it's just potions and some spells to bring them back to life. That that was like I was fine with that not really being explained because it doesn't I don't think it had to be. It was just no, right. He's the Witcher. We can't have him die yet, so we'll have Triss save his life. <laughs> you know. No, she is, makes a well, she makes yeah. a statement that you must have really loved life, or you must really want to be alive because <laughs> of how hard you worked to come back, or something. I thought, well, is there something? There's something more to that, or is that just kind of a way so the audience doesn't kind of give up on the MacGuffin. Yeah, I think it was just a, just just another person saying, hey, Geralt, you're really strong-willed and heroic. You know that, right? And, I mean, you, you hear that in movies where, you know, his will to live is keeping him alive. Yeah. His strength is, you know. So I, I, that's what I think that line was. I mean, it's, I don't think there's any deeper meaning to it. So, and also, in, it was kind of funny that this was the introduction to Triss because in the video games, at least in um, the second one, he Geralt actually loses his memory, so he loses his memory of Yennefer and of Ciri and of anything, and he actually falls in love with Triss for mm. most of the most of the game, and so and then in the, in the in the next game that becomes a fun little triangle between her Triss and Yennefer because Yennefer and Triss are actually supposed to be really close friends. Okay. Um, so that becomes I. I I'm curious to see if they're going to try and introduce that into the next seasons because that definitely is something that a TV show would jump on. Mm-hmm. So nothing, nothing like a, a love triangle between our two main characters and one kind of minor character right now. So I'm sure that'll show up later, but that's that's Triss, and she's a, one of the more powerful mages in the, in, in the land. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just a great um, story. And... Mm-hmm. It really does. It, it's a classic Witcher's tale, and it's why this story. It's pretty much why this whole show became a show because you have stories like that. Yeah. So I think the battles and kind of the 
symbolism of these of the ascension of Yennefer and then the battle yeah. between Geralt and Striga. Those are the highlights for me. Like mm-hmm. those kind of messaging around it and the magic and the mystery and the cryptic nature of it. I think all of that is why we're here. We like the, those kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. I think um, this is my summary narrative here, so you can uh, pick it apart if you if you disagree <laughs> with it. But maybe some of the low points here, sometimes the dialogue gets a little, um, I don't even know. It's gibberish. Like, it's gibberish. They're, just, yeah. they're just talking to sound smart. It's really hard to follow sometimes. Yeah, and that's not great. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's, this is a genre. So they're, they're, if you don't like this genre, that could drag you down a little bit too. Um, because this is, this is, doesn't feel as much of a hybrid or this is like this medieval mage and wizard genre type of a show. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other low lights in here. I guess it's confusing maybe at times. Her. Yeah, well, it's. I think the whole problem with Yennefer's kind of story is her whole thing is confusing. Yeah. And you kind of, it's hard to follow. Like the whole conversation with kind of the mages' council, where they're trying to figure out which mage should go where and where should we send um, Yennefer and all these people. It, it it's hard to follow because, like you said, the names are kind of hard to pronounce, and so you don't remember who is who, and then the places and the kings are kind of hard to follow. But Basically, the best way to put it is that um, Yennefer was going to go to the king of Ed, uh, Edern, but then it's, it's revealed that she's half elf, and oh. that's where her, that's kind of where her physical deformities came from, essentially. And because of that, they were going to send her to Nilfgaard, which she didn't want to go to. She had this, you know, this this dream in her head about going to be the king's court of King of Edern and being this beautiful mage and you know doing the whole royalty thing. And then instead she's going, she's got sent to Nilfgaard, which is supposed to kind of just be this backwater, really like, um, low society nation or country. And if you, like, you can get that much out of it, but the, all of the other conversations are kind of hard to follow. And, ah, they're, they're just waxing poetic for most of the time. And that's the only problem with it. But yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I thought, wait, what, what were you saying otherwise? I, I think that's yeah no that's good I'm, I'm, that was a good point um probably the well one quick thing there's a challenge with names so like you're some of the names I'm learning how to say these names as I'm listening to you talk about this world and 90 percent of the of the way that I'm trying to pronounce the names in the show are wrong like I had at that where Jennifer ends up going I was pronouncing that a darn yeah, it's it's. I mean, even I'm having trouble pronouncing. I believe it's Edern, but I mean, honestly, who knows <laughs> more? Oh, but I think part of the. What were you gonna say though before I transition over to kind of summarize more of the strengths? Um, I guess some of the other negatives. Um, I guess series story just completely takes a backseat in episode two and three. I mean, they kind of they they explore almost. The, the, the aftermath of war and the um, kind of the refugees tale where that's essentially what Siri is. She's a refugee fleeing the Nilfgaardian army and she finds this refugee camp where she's kind of set up for a bit, but she has to hide her identity because they're all saying how they hate um, the, the king and queen. They want to kill them all. 
because they basically brought this this death on them. Mm-hmm. And it's I guess in that sense it's it's good because it kind of creates this really grounded, very real um, narrative as compared to the whole Harry Potter esque of Yennefer or yeah. the monster slayer that is the Witcher. Like that stuff is that they go full bore fantasy into those two storylines and they just push it. Um, they don't hold back in the way that Game of Thrones really tried to hold back with the fantasy elements, mm-hmm. uh, where Game of Thrones really dived headfirst into the politics and, of of that world. Mm-hmm. The Witcher goes headfirst into the fantasy elements, which is good. It's, it's it definitely differentiates itself and makes it a very rich um, uh, setting. And then Siri gets to be kind of the reality, the grounded that people are suffering, that these people are being slaughtered, and then you learn that. Um, she has a traveling companion who you find out is an elf, and then you find out that the elves were systematically slaughtered, essentially in a genocide, by uh, Queen Kalanthe, who is um, Ciri's uh, grandmother. Hmm. And it ends, I think it ends in episode, so in episode three, she's almost not even, like, she's not almost non-existent. She's maybe five minutes of screen time at the very end. Yeah. But she goes into um, the Brooklyn Forest, or the Brooklyn Forest, however you want to say it. And it's supposed to be this really powerful, you know, forest that, you know, it kind of like it take it, it protects itself. It has its own kind of life force, essentially. And the dryads who live in there kind of supposed to take care of her. And that's a whole other part of the story that, um, at least in the books, it's like much deeper. And there's a lot more characters in it. And there's a lot more that goes on. And in this show, it, she spends, it's basically just a gas station stop. She just hangs out there for a day and that's it <laughs> yeah and i didn't so i didn't like i didn't like how they use the broccoli forest and the dryads or how they got her out with mousesack in which um i think was that episode four was that episode three or four end of three i think yeah so mousesack is essentially the court mage for um for queen calante and the, the kingdom of sintra He's captured by the Nilf Guardians, and then a the what's his name? Uh, K- uh, Kahir or Kahir, who is essentially kind of like the leader of the Nilf Guardians. He he enlists what's called a Doppler, and a Doppler is a person who can uh, transform himself to look like any single person, and he can even have the same memories as them. And so he transforms himself into Mousesack. And then kills Mousesack, and then he goes out and looks for Siri to bring Siri back to the Nope Guardians. I think um, that's in uh, episode four. Is that episode? I think is that not at the end? Oh, crap. Okay, that's episode four. So yeah, I think it is. All right. Well, I think it ends with her going in, into the Brooklyn Forest, which yeah, that's right. Yeah. That that's it. That, that that's like her whole development. There, there, she's just a yeah. scared girl running through the forest trying to stay alive and trying to keep the Nope Guardians away from her. So that's her story right now. It's it's a little boring, other and so I'm not. That's that's kind of the downside of it, and they kind of just need to get through that part of the story, which I didn't think they needed to do. Yeah. Well, one good thing is as we continue to work our way through the series, is it's becoming very obvious, Eric, that you're going to provide very much needed information to viewers that are not immersed in this world because. Mm-hmm. They'll be able to um, actually know what happened in some of these episodes as they listen to your kind of breaking down the characters, their powers, the different storylines. So I very much appreciate that knowledge that you've gained. So any final words of wisdom before we end this episode? 
Um, yeah, so there's one little thing that actually I missed until I rewatched uh, episode three a couple more times. And after, so Geralt is helping the king of Tamaria. His name is King Foltest. And in the episode, he's, you know, this old kind of gross king who mm-hmm. is clearly corrupt. And and they contrast that with the end of her story where she's trying to transform herself and become this beautiful, powerful woman. And after the transformation, she actually walks into, like, the, the kingdom um, kind of – they're having this party, this kind of um, ascension party, kind of like a graduation party, essentially. And they have this it's, – it's a little throwaway line where they're just like, you know, Prince Foltest, throw – you know, say – look at all these witches. And you see it's King Foltest as, like, a seven, eight-year-old boy. And that's when you and, – and his um, – but basically, it shows that uh, Yennefer and all these mages are very old, and it also, wow. and it, she essentially hasn't aged from when King Foltest was a boy to the Battle of the Striga with Geralt, and she hasn't aged at all. Hmm. And it shows you like all of these mages could be hundreds of years old, and you just don't know. But it also shows the jump. It foreshadows sort of the jumbled timeline that this first season is going to have. That you find in that that you that you find out rather abruptly in season four, and it's very con- or in episode four, and it's very confusing. But at least they tried to foreshadow it, and it it makes rewatching it a little bit more fun. Yeah, yeah, I'm so glad you broke that down because some of that stuff is really confusing because these timetables are all over the place and. These characters are very, very old. At least some of them are. So I, I find I this. Actually, is... I actually did want to say one more thing that we kind of forgot. Yeah. It was um in episode two is Geralt's story where he meets the elves, mm-hmm. and I kind of started it, but then realized I was off topic. But I wanted to get back to it because I feel like it's going to have a bigger importance in the next few seasons, in which he's captured by the elves, and I can't remember if they what they're called in this one, but. It's possible that they're, they're what's called the Scoyatel, which is essentially like a rebel band of uh, not only elves, but elves and dwarves and other type of mystical creatures. And they, the elves were used to live in the continent. They used to be like the most powerful race and they used magic and all that stuff. And they showed the humans how to use magic and let the, they kind of let the humans ascend and become powerful. And then the humans just took their time and just systematically slaughtered all the elves. And who wasn't killed was scattered into refugee camps and um, and taken as slaves essentially. So they're ba- they're basically like a slave cast of this whole of this whole setting. And who the Witcher gets captured by is this uh, elven king called Philavandril, who. I think it was gonna have, like I said, I think it's gonna have a much bigger importance in the seasons to come. I think they're definitely gonna go back to it. And the whole, see, the thing, the problem was that 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 episode, that scene was kind of lame, where they're captured and they just started yelling at each other about the righteous, whether it was right or wrong to kill people or for the elven genocide. And Phil Evangel basically just monologues for like five minutes. So it's kind of boring. It's kind of unneeded and, and lame, quite frankly. Yeah. But I think it was important because it'll set up the elves, the elven storyline and their history in further seasons to come. It's going to yeah. be very important later, just not right now. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Well, thank you. So- All right. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. That's awesome. 
So we are very much looking forward to our discussions. We'll head into episode four and five in our next episode. But for now and until next time, this has been Longbox Scavengers. (laughs) 